You're listening to Locked On Cavaliers, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. I am Chris Manning, your host and the site manager at fearthesword.com, SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers site. If you aren't already, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. A five-star review is the best way to support the show. And you can find the show on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights. On today's show, we are going to take a look back at the Cleveland win on Saturday over the Washington Wizards and what made that win so impressive um, and everything that just really went right for the Cavs and a pretty dominant win. And then we're going to empty out the mailbag. Uh, we're going to do that Friday, but thank you everyone for being patient. Uh, we're going to answer a ton of questions that we got. So. Uh, without further ado, Wizards game. So no Delhi, no John Henson, who's obviously hurt, but also not even trade eligible yet. Only eight guys playing this game, including two two-way guys. Uh, this David Nawab is obviously still out. Rodney Hood's out in this game. A lot of shorthandedness. Second night of a back-to-back. Cavs had lost two games in a row where they gave up 129 points. Could have thought this one could have gone really badly, but it didn't. I think the big reason for that was, was Colin Sexton was was great. This was an assertive player. He pushed and pushed and pushed. Now, he was the first to say that like John Wall was just off and dealing with something. Wall did just have a, a child, so congratulations to John Wall. Uh, he just didn't seem like he was fully in the moment of this game, and I think that stood out. Sexton took some threes in this game. He made them. He looked comfortable taking them. 29 points for him tied a new career high, or tied his career high. And he took, he just looks so much more comfortable as a starter. Stats that kind of back this up. He's shooting 47.2% on threes in his last 15 games, according to NBA.com backslash stats. That's 15 of the 16 games he started. So that basically just that one other game um, against the Thunder where that, that sample size doesn't pop in there. And he just looks so much more comfortable, so much just more in the flow and natural flow of the game. I don't know if that's because he just likes being there from the tip or, or the lineups. I, he's been asked about this, hasn't really given like a clear answer on that, and it's his prerogative to do so, but he just looks just so much more comfortable. Um, he's shooting 2.43s per game so far as a starter versus 1.8 when he was coming off the bench. Again, he has just thrived in this role. It's good to see. He just looks like he's getting a better grasp of the offense, better grasp of things that are going on. There's still rookie point guard mistakes happening, but he's a guy that looks like the game is slowing down for him. And he just put on maybe his best performance to date on Saturday. Um, Did whatever he wanted, defended well-ish mostly, and just was attacking, 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 and passing and hitting threes and just everything you want from Colin Sexton I think you got in this game. Really, really good to see from him. The Tristan Thompson hagiography pod to move on is going to come on Wednesday with David Zavok. So we're going to talk more about him this week. Just the the most bright spot for the Cavs team this year. But credit to him because he moved in a fourth all-time in Cavs history against the Wizards in total rebounds in that game. Um, He just feasted, just absolutely crushed the boards in this game. He only had six against the Kings and had 19 in this game. 
and just getting any kind of shot he wanted off too in this game and, and hung and looked really good in 42 minutes on the second end of a back-to-back, which tells you just how good he looks. He also had this block that I'll link in the show notes. I uh, tweeted this out during the game, but he just looks so athletic and so springy in a way I don't think he would have last year, and that just tells you how freaking healthy this guy's been. There is some all-star push for him, I think, among some Cleveland people. I need to dive into that uh, before I really discuss it, and maybe we'll get to that on Wednesday. Maybe I'll have a better answer for you listeners out there if Tristan should be an all-star on Wednesday, but he's been great, been the Cavs' best player. This was another just fantastic game for him. And speaking of bigs, Larry Nance, two threes in this game, back-to-back. That stroke looks good. He's doing a little bit of everything. He had that led the team in assists in this game, which is kind of cool to see. And he's really handling, I think, playing on the perimeter better than I would have expected. So basically because the Cavs don't have Kevin Love right now and because they're playing these weird two-big lineups and and whatever, Larry Nance is having to do, is basically being slotted into a raw offense where he hangs out on the corners. He comes out to the um, perimeter a, a significantly amount more than he does, and Tristan goes inside. It's very different for him to do that. It's not something that is necessarily fully in his comfort zone, but he's doing it well and has kind of grown into it as he's done it more and more. The three-point shot is not something I think is a reliable tool for him yet, but he is taking them, and if he doesn't feel comfortable taking them, you see him actually being able to put the ball on the floor and drive a little bit. We need to see the rest of the season sample size to kind of weigh this trend out but he looks really good. And him hitting those two threes was was a good sign. And that, that stroke just, again, does look more comfortable, does look more natural than it has even earlier in the season, I think. Right, Jenny Osmond, too, comes back in this game, plays a little bit better, had two really, really good assists in this game. One in particular was this no-look dime on, on the break. Um, you know, shot's still a little bit off. You know, he's he's finishing a little bit better at the rim of late, at least uh, as a finishing with, through contact a little bit better. There's still some things there you want to see him improve on, but look, a better game for him, um, a better look for him, and a better just kind of time for him to, to really get on. Sexton is the star young player right now. Jetty was kind of that guy the first couple games of the year, and being that this is our weekly Sexton kind of impromptu Sexton check-in here, makeup Sexton check-in, Sexton has just been more impressive than Jetty of late, but Jetty had a, one of his better games of late in this game. He, he was really clearly frustrated on Friday against the Kings, completely did not look like that against the Wizards, and was back to just doing some of the more creative things that we've seen from him. And we're going to talk more about him later on the pod, so uh, stay tuned for a really good question we got asked about Jetty. And then lastly, look, Uh, Something I talked about at the beginning, but the Cavs really handled having only eight guys healthy in this game and playing two two two-way guys who Tristan didn't even really know who they were, it seemed like, post-game yet. They made it all work. They played hard. They they took advantage of a Wizards team that maybe didn't take them all that seriously. Um, And a John Wall who just really wasn't there. They didn't give up 129 points again. Again, after doing it for two straight games. For the Cavs, look like this is the kind of win that you have to feel positive about. It's a win you have to feel comfortable with if you're this group. Um, was it perfect? No. Was it maybe their best one of the season? I would I would say it's probably not their best one of this season. But looking at a team that had only really these only played eight guys um, until late, only you know really have a few of their normal guys out, have a bunch of guys injured, just made this big trade. And they won 
and they beat a team that blew them out not too long ago. So just impressive work from there. Shouts to Larry Drew for kind of keeping this group organized and level-headed. Um, I think he deserves a lot of credit for kind of what's gone right here. And go down the Cavs for kind of just getting this one done and setting up, uh, ending, ending the week on a positive note after two tough losses. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear from today's sponsors on the show, and you're going to hear from Matthew Lavadova, who spoke to the media when we were at the queue this weekend. So uh, stay tuned for that, and you'll hear more after the break from Locked On Cavaliers. Um, I mean, it was up and down. Um, you know, I think I, I learned a lot. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a good experience overall. Um, great, great teammates and, and made a lot of uh, lifelong friends there as well. So um, definitely grateful for the opportunity from them. And they're a great organization as well. Uh, but um, looking forward to the next chapter here now. <laughs> well, I think that gets exaggerated a little bit about me and Kyrie at practice, but um, no, he's a really good young player and uh, he's tough, so uh, I'm looking forward to playing with him. Um, I think just, uh, you know, I watched the game last night um, on, on TV and then uh, just talk with the coaches, talk with the guys, um, see what they like. Um, and. You know, just try to bring some energy and, and um, yeah, go from that. And we're back on Lockdown Cavalier. So, again, first part of the mailbag for this week. Um, if you want to submit them for your future mailbag, you can submit them on Twitter to at Lockdown Cavs. We'll have a post up on Reddit at r backslash Cleveland Cavs. And we'll have a post. You can submit them on Facebook as well to Lockdown Cavs. And you can also email them to the pod at LockedOnCavs at gmail.com. So, first question this week comes from Ben Sullivan at BenJSullivan79 on Twitter. Uh, his first question is, I think, a really good one, and it's, uh, how many players on this Cavs roster will remain with the Cavs three years from now in 2020 to 2021? So, that this is a bit of a patchwork guess at this point, and it is fun to sort of evaluate this. So, if you go to Early Bird Rights, uh, they have a great breakdown of where the Cavs cap sheet's going to be. I'll have a link to this in the show notes as well. So as of, uh, of among this group, here are the players that are have contracts that are fully like signed through that season. So Kevin Love, obviously, he'll make thir- a little over $31 million in 2020-2021. Larry Nance is the only other player. He's going to make about 11.7 that season. So Tristan Thompson will be hitting unrestricted free agency ahead of that season. J.R. Smith uh, would be the same thing, but he'll be off the team by then. So, but technically, he's that's when his contract ends. Jordan Clarkson, unrestricted free agent. John Henson, unrestricted free agent. Delhi, unrestricted free agent. Sexton will have his rookie option. There'll, unless something just goes catastrophically wrong, like that will be picked up for about a little under five. And then Jetty Osman is... Uh, Restricted free agent, and then Ante Zizic has a rookie option for that season as well. So, um, Enchanting Fry and David Nwaba. Uh, Fry will be unrestricted this summer. Hood's unrestricted this summer. Burke is unrestricted this summer. And Nawaba is restricted this upcoming summer. So, the here who... I, I think it's like possible Nawaba could be. I think it's possible Delhi could be. I think the locks, I would say, are... Sexton, Nance, Osman, and that's it. Um, we'll throw. Let's throw the number one pick this upcoming draft in there as well. 
I think it's very possible Kevin Love is on that team, but I think it's also very possible he gets traded this upcoming summer. No idea about Jordan Clarkson, frankly. It's just that one's just really, really hard to prognosticate. Um, probably largely depends on him like not making thirteen million dollars again, and and really what he looks like in a couple of years. I think Hood's gone this summer. Just just a gut feeling there. I think Henson's probably getting traded again. Is it, the jury's just so out on Zizic, um, and at that point, like if he's going to make even if it's four million dollars, like that's tough. Channing's definitely going to retire. Nawaba, who I that's just way too hard to to, to predict really. Um, would not shock me if like he signed like a two year deal with the Cavs this summer just based on something, but who knows? I think there's a very good chance Tristan Thompson plays his whole career in Cleveland. Um, so I'm gonna go out and ahead and say here are the guys on the team that are currently on the roster that are gonna be there, and this is just a wild guess: Nance, Osman, Sexton, Delhi, and Tristan. So, to repeat, Osman, Sexton, Thompson, Delhi, and Nance. Not a lot of guys. Love could certainly be there. And I think you certainly could have, and the number one pick next year is likely to be in there as well. But that's not a lot of guys. This is a roster that is going to change significantly over the next couple of years. And I think that question... As a thought ex- make it in, in spurring the thought exercise, really spurs that. Uh, ben has another question: uh, Is there a trade partner that is a good fit for J.R. Smith that might offer assets similar to the Corver trade? So, what the Cavs got for Kyle Corver is what the Cavs got for Kyle Corver was um, you got some you took some salary um, and an expiring contract that you could flip again, and you got uh, a second round pick. So that's not a ton. Um, you're basically looking, I think, for a contender that feels like it has to roll the dice on what Jerry is going to be. And I think if you're looking at teams that can make some sense, and, and teams that also would want to like clear some money up for next summer and not have to pay as much. So I think you could look at, um, you know, theoretically, you could look at someone like the Thunder, but like the salaries there are really, really tough to do. You could look at the 76ers, but them are already having traded the Jared Bayless contract. That makes that a little bit harder as well. Um, and they're playing Wilson Chandler right now. Maybe you could do Fultz, but like other than Fultz, like I, I don't see a deal there that makes sense because Wilson Chandler is playing for them. Um, you could look at, I think Detroit theoretically can make some sense if they want to kind of roll the dice there. Maybe Toronto just wants to like do something, but like I don't think there's salaries there that that really makes sense. Um, especially because CJ Miles is just good for them. Um, I think you could go to Houston, and I don't, you know, I can't tell you what Houston thinks of J.R. Smith, but like that, that would be kind of the one that makes some sense. They have Brandon Knight's contract. Uh, you could do the they could the Cavs would have to like eat a really eat that and probably take a second round pick back. You're probably not getting a young player for J.R. because his value is not as high. That's the other thing here is just Corver in the in a vacuum is just a more valuable piece because of his reputation and like the, the you know the teams know he's a smart smart defensive player where JR can kind of have those issues where he's not playing particularly smart on the defensive end. So I think it's possible. But if I had to say are they going to get a deal that is the same as the Corver deal? I'm going to say no. I I don't think that that deal is quite out there. Um it's about if you're looking for teams, it's about I think a team a good team that feels like it needs to roll the dice. Um, that feels like it needs to 
do something to just kind of give itself a little bit more shooting and change it, change up what it's doing a little bit. My personal favorite, if you want to just me to go like full craziness here, I, uh, I tweeted, I alluded to this the other day, but my personal favorite, and I'm making sure that it works, but uh, money wise, it's, it, it basically works, but it cannot be done f- until closer until he is eligible to be traded with other players. But if, if the Memphis Grizzlies like wanted to get two wings and like get off the Parsons contract and like send just like a first, I mean, their pick situation isn't great. So this is, this is complicated, but like, what if you did J.R. and Burks to the Grizzlies for Parsons, the Cavs just eat that money. They hope to God, maybe the Cleveland Clinic doctors can um, make Chandler Parsons leg work again. And the Grizzlies get salary relief this summer to to build, you know, make maybe make some moves this summer to, to support Conley and support Gasol, um, support Jaron Jackson Jr. And they get two wings who could at least make, maybe they don't play or, but like it's better, maybe gives them alternatives to, to Brooks and Selden, the two guys they have right now. So that that's one, but it's going to, I think, involve eating salary either way. That's sort of the point of the JR contract with a small guarantee on it for next season. Uh, the last question we are going to ask comes from Vignesh Velu. I uh, sorry if I mispronounced that. Is Vignesh H Velu on Twitter? So he asks, why don't the Cavs give Bonzi Colson a call up? He's shooting threes at a decent rate. I don't see him much, but every time I check the box, where he pops out. So I I would say that this is likely due to just the structure of his contract. So he's not a uh, two way player, or he's not a He's not someone the Cavs basically like can call up easily and like burn through days like they did John Holland or London Perantes or you know the Jared Blossom game or or Jerome Blossom game and Jalen Jones who they just used the other night obviously. Um, with with Colson he's just on the charge. The Cavs could obviously keep they're keeping an eye on him just because he's like in their system. Basically, I just think like they deem it basically just tells you in the in the transaction that like they just don't think of him as. Uh, necessarily ready to kind of get what they're doing. It seems like with their two-way guys, they want threes and guys that can kind of switch a little bit and are longer just to kind of eat some minutes at, on the perimeter right now. That's not what Colson does. Um, I, I think like he, if you're looking at where he gets called up, maybe they have more injuries or trades later on. They need to, it may, they burn through the, the guys they have now. They have to sign someone else to a two-way deal. They sign him to 10-day contracts. That's kind of how that would work for him. I also just don't think he's like, a real NBA player. I think he's okay. I think he could like be like a 15th guy, but he's not someone that I would spend like a particular amount of time, like really thinking about or like worrying about as like a a guy, like he's, he's a good G league player. Give him credit for that. Um, Wouldn't be shocked if like he's on the roster at some point this year, just to fill some minutes, but that's just what he functionally is. And that's the max of really what he is. Uh, we're going to take one more break, hear from our, our sponsors once again, and then you're going to hear from John Henson on the way back in and what he had to say uh, speaking to the media on Saturday. So stay tuned for more Locked On Cavaliers. What's it like uh, playing for Coach Drew again? It doesn't happen a lot in this league. Uh, it's cool, man. Um, you know, he really gave me the opportunity as a young player my second year to uh, kind of establish myself in this league, man. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for that. Um, got nothing but good things to say about, you know, LD, man. Um, Great man, great individual, so uh, couldn't have a, like, a better coach to get traded to. How's the rest feeling? Uh, sturdy. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I got the cast on, um, so probably sometime at the All-Star break I'll get it off, so it's going to be a minute. 
What do you know about this Cavs team? You've watched them from afar. You're in the same division. Um, early impressions coming in? Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they've got pieces, man. they got um, you know, a good mix of older guys and uh, you know, got some young guys as well. Um, um, you know, obviously, kind of key calls like you know, Tristan's here, you know, where the guy's always been here. And I've played them so many times in my career. I'm kind of familiar with the city, the arena, that type thing. So I'm uh, excited to be here, man, and uh, can't wait. And we are back. So second part of the mailbag. Uh, first question comes from John Brady at jbraids on Twitter. He asked, what's a realistic upside player comparison for Jetty over the next two to three years? So I'm going to start looking at the um, advanced um, the advanced stats for, for what he is. So, so 538 does these Carmelo rankings. Um, that is, identify similar players through NBA history and use them to develop a forecast of an NBA player future. You, the, like the, the, the time that they came um, out, you know, sort of were like there and out sort of in the discourse in a way that I can like remember being an NBA Twitter thing was Andrew Wiggins being compared to James Posey, who funnily enough is now a Cavs assistant coach. Funny how that those things work out. So he rates out um, in some things and some here are the based on his performance here are the 10 guys that he rates out against. Number one is Kevin Gamble who um, who was a, a wing in the 90s. Then you have 2004 Tayshaun Prince. Then you have Sam Decker, Bill Walker, Alonzo G, Perry Jones, Kendrick Brown, Billy Thompson, Pete Verhoeven, who played in 1983, and S, uh, a guy named S. Anderson in, in 98. So the, the name that I think jumps out off the board here is Tayshaun Prince. Um, if if he could be Tayshaun Prince, and he could be a guy that could defend, do a little creation, do some secondary creation, be a smart passer, hit some threes, be a good offensive player, that's like a really useful player. Um, the rest of the names on this list like don't inspire confidence. Like... If you look at the modern players, Bill Walker was a touted a, a prep player, but was not really an NBA player. Cavs fans can tell you exactly what Alonzo G was was a guy that um, played decent defense and you know was a smart player, but couldn't hit threes to save his life. And Sam Decker is something. Perry Jones is some was just kind of eh too. So these are not like particularly like positive things for Jetty here. But if you look at like Tayshon Prince being like a a version of what he could be, that's really interesting. Um, the, obviously, I don't know if he can be that good on defense. I don't know if you know his, his three point shot and stuff like has to kind of develop in a way that would really cement him as a good shooter off ball. Um, I think he also has the potential to be more creative than Tayshon Prince. Um, you're looking at him as someone who really Jetty as someone really who has a good vision, has a flair to his game that I don't think Tayshaun really had. Um, so I, I that, to me, is sort of interesting. I think if you look at, like, the archetype of what he could be, he's never going to be a star player. I, I don't. He's probably never, like, an all-star, I would guess. But he could be, like, a fourth, fifth guy in a good team, maybe a bit lower on a really good team. Smart passer, good shooter good defender can defend at least like one through three if not one through four depending on how pace and space the league gets and and who you're playing he needs to just be prove that he can do certain things three-point shooting um and consistent passing and defense are sort of like the three main skills for him i think 
shooting and defense would be the two things that would really help him establish himself as a, as a real NBA guy. Um, he plays really hard, obviously. There's things he does well now, but three-point shooting and defense would be the two things that would really help him like be like a Tayshawn Prince type, uh, maybe like a more creative Tayshawn Prince. That that would be like a very, very good thing for the Caps to have um, gotten as a young player. And and hold on to that's a guy. It's a guy you can really, I think, feel good about um, having around in your system. So I, I think that a more creative Tayshawn Prince would be the kind of interesting thing uh, for me. Um, if anyone has any other ones, I'd love to hear them. But that that to me would be like a really, really high upside one. I think um, if you're looking at a, a younger guy that kind of, you know, you show like what a, a not a star young player, but like what a uh, what a, turns into like a useful player. Like look at like Torian Prince in in Atlanta and sort of how he's developed. Um, maybe something like that could make some sense for him as well. Uh, ben Sullivan had one other question. We're gonna wrap it up on this one. So, re the Cavs rebuild. Is there a model among current or recent teams around the league that the front office might best pursue? So. I think there's a couple interesting answers to this. I think the the one that really stand the two that stand out to me, I'll say three would be the Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, and the Indiana Pacers. And here's why: all three teams are playoff teams with with very good players on the roster. So um, obviously, Utah drafted Donovan Mitchell. They had Gobert. They have Joe Ingles. They have other good players. They have a really good coach. Denver, none of their star players were like high, high lottery picks, right? Like Nicole Jokic, second round pick. Uh, Jamal Murray was someone that they acquired, um, or sorry, Gary Harris was like a mid first round pick. Uh, you know, Jamal Murray was the seventh overall pick, but that was like, it's not like he was the number one pick or anything like that. And you look at Indiana, you know, they flipped um, Paul George, get Victor Oladipo, gets a bonus, who are maybe their best two players, Turner. Who the jury's still sort of out on, they got later on in the draft, and they've you know surrounded it with smart acquisitions. A good name, McMillan's done a really good job with that group. The through line for these three teams is that again, they did not like draft the uh, number one overall to get somebody. They did not go the Sixers route. I think that's what the Cavs would prefer. I think that's what they were. Even if I think there was definitely internal belief that they would not necessarily be good this year. I do think like that was something that they were going to be hoping for was to to follow that Indiana, Denver, Utah model, where you you are coached well, you develop well, you hit on some guys that are not diamonds in the rough, and you go from there. That is what I think they're hoping for. Um, I think that I think they certainly feel like if they could, you know, I don't think the Cavs are looking to spend the next five, six years, like, toiling to try to, you know, get the, to do their lottery ads. I don't think that's what this organization really plans to do. I think their, their hope would really to be pick high in this draft. I think that's inevitable at this point. As we're recording this on December 9th for, for your Monday pod, uh, Tankathon has the Cavs as tied for third at worst in the league. They had, that would put them at 13.2% chance of having the number one overall pick. They are, you know, Teams like Brooklyn and Washington and the Knicks are all sort of right there as well. But the Cavs are going to have a good, a, a, a right now, 50% chance of having a top four pick. Um, they're in a good position to get a chance to maybe not get Zion, but get R.J. Barrett, get Nazir Little, get Cam Reddish, get someone that they feel like can really impact them. 
And then maybe if Kevin Love's around, if Tristan continue playing this way, if Nance keeps developing, if Osman and Sexton develop, and you make some smart signings, like, hey, maybe you're the sixth seed next year. Now, is that as fun or as interesting as, you know, getting LeBron and being like a automatic finals team? Well, no, but if you look at... Um, if you just look at how these other teams have built, like they've had some ups and downs, like they've had their struggles and all these things, but like they are going to be playoff teams and they give themselves a shot in a given year to like make a run. Like it would not be the most shocking thing in the world if the Denver Nuggets made the Western Conference Finals this year. The Jazz were thought to be that maybe be that kind of team this year. Um, they're going to be solidified for, you know, all these teams are going to get expensive and be good, but you got to things to come. And look, if you want me to throw one other one out there, Look at Toronto. So Toronto, um, they get Demar. He's there for a long time. Kyle, they could bring in Kyle. He's there for a long time. But Masai Ujiri, like, built a really smart team, built a deep team, and built the built the team that played a certain way. And then he makes a, a looks like a good coaching choice to go to Nick Nurse over Dwayne Casey, and then he flips Demar. and he gets himself involved in the Kawhi Leonard deal and gets Kawhi Leonard by making by having the the assets and stuff available and he didn't have to give up pascal siakam who they've developed into like a really nice player uh they didn't have to give up van vliet who they developed into a really nice player they didn't have to give up og and anubi who's a key key part of their team is probably going to keep playing more and more as the year goes on and they got late in the first round they hit on stuff they made that big trade and then look at them like they might be the favorites to get out of the eastern conference this year um so I would say those are the four that really come to mind is if you want to model what the Cavs should be modeling themselves after, it's those things. Um, my favorite of those, I, I think Denver, I think I see a lot of parallels to Denver because the coaching situation to me is the really fascinating part of this because we don't really know what the Cavs want as a coach yet. Could they, do they want to get their own Kenny Atkinson, their own Nick Nurse, their, someone to run something very modern, to run something very hip and now and trendy. Or do they want it like? Or do they trust Larry Drew to kind of innovate himself a little bit, make the personnel work, and be more like a Mike Malone, who's done some really inventive things in Denver, but is really playing to the strengths of his team and and connects with that team. And I can tell you, the Cavs players love Larry Drew. The the organization respects Larry Drew. Like there there isn't like a rebellion coming up under the surface against Larry Drew. Like he's a very liked guy in this in this in his in his job right now. So. That will say a lot about this. Um, that's why the Denver one sticks out to me. It does hinge a lot on player development. It hinges on smart signings. It hinges on you know drafting while late in the lottery. Um, that's why if Sexton works out, that's a big deal. That's why if JD works out as a second round pick, that's why that works out. That that's why that matters. Um, and they're gonna potentially get a shot to get a, a the superstar kind of young player this year. And maybe a year from now, we're looking at the Cavs and it's like a starting five of let's just say. Um, Colin Sexton, Jetty's playing the two, you know, Nazir Little's at the three, Love and Tristan Thompson with Nance and David Nawaba and Delhi and, um, you know, some other pieces. And they're like cobbled together enough wins to be like the seven or six seed in the East. That's sort of, I think, what you're looking at. And then you see if you can keep rising up from there, stay flexible, sign, make smart free agent decisions and, and see where that gets you. I think they're, they're not going to be obviously a free agent destination that's why you're seeing them collect assets, rebuild the stockpile, get chances to draft young players that they can develop. That's that's you're seeing the foundation of that sort of being laid right now when they're not trying to they're like one of the few teams that are not trying to amass cap space for next summer. 
So again, the four teams I would say Denver, um, Indiana, the Utah Jazz, and the, the Raptors in terms of a team of, of staying good for a long time and then being in the right position to go for it when someone like Kawhi Leonard comes available. Um, those are the four. Denver being the one to me that is the most fascinating and um, really interesting. So just because of the coaching situation too. Mike Malone and Jiro wonder if there's something sort of similar there. So that is going to uh, be it for today's show. Thank you for the great mailbag questions. Especially thank you to Ben Sullivan for, for all those great questions. Um, we're going to be back tomorrow recapping Monday night's Cavs-Bucks game. That is in Milwaukee. I, as, as we don't know now for sure if Matthew Delavadova and uh, John Henson obviously will not be playing, but we don't know if Delhi's going to play, if if they're going to have uh, the full breakdown of guys yet. As of I record this, like the, the preview for the game is not up on Cavs.com, so they haven't released anything yet. Um, but we'll have a recap of that, a breakdown of there. We'll talk more about Jetty in our weekly Jetty breakdown on Tuesday. And if you're looking for some Browns podcasts to go listen to after that, I would highly recommend going, going to listen to Lockdown Browns. Jeff Floyd is doing a great job over there breaking down that team, which is a great story right now. And they just picked up a really big win. So a great time to go put that in your rotation and listen to Locked on Browns. But I'm Chris Manning, your host from ForTheSword.com. Please go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a five-star review. If you go to Fear the Sword today, you can read my story about how Delhi is going to fit on these new calves and why the role is similar but not exactly the same as what he had before. Obviously, you know LeBron and no Kyrie uh, certainly impacts that. And then all this week, we're going to have a ton of great stuff. Trevor Magnati has a great draft. Guys, you should definitely check out today as well. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. Me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights. Have a great Monday. We'll talk to you tomorrow.